And so uh, I won't ask you to stand as we, as we read this chapter, but uh, if you would give your attention to the reading of God's holy word in, in Hebrews chapter 9. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared. The first section in which there were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It's called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. But into the second, only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinklings of, sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it's not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything was purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves 
with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Would you pray with me? Uh, we pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would be at work. Uh, use this, your word, to, um, to, to do the very purpose for which you send it out. To bring unbelievers to saving faith. To strengthen and encourage your people. Uh, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts to embrace, and lives to be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Um, you know, my kids are young enough that I should remember how the driver's license law worked when they got their licenses. I can't remember it at all. Maybe because I blame it on the fact that I didn't really care. And, and, and they had driver's ed at school, and so maybe that's... But what's interesting is I can remember every detail about mine, which was a couple of years before theirs. In South Carolina, at the time, when you turned 15, you could get your learner's permit. Um, you went, you took the writing test. If you passed the writer's test, you, the, write, the written test, you, you had... Not the writing test, the written test. You know what I mean. Humor me pretend. Um, and if you pass the written test, you got your learner's permit and you only had to keep it for 15 days. And at 15 days, you could go and take the driving test and get your restricted license. Maybe that's why I don't remember because that seems awfully short these days, right? You, you, most of us are, you know, meanwhile, my dad was driving at 14 and, you know, nobody thought twice about it. But at 15, you, I mean, at, at 15 and 15 days, you could go. And I remember doing this. I mean, like, I have this vivid memory of my mom picking me up at school. I mean, I wanted this thing quick. I wanted it now. And, and you had your, at 15 and 15 days, you had your restricted license. You could drive from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. during standard time, 6 a.m., 8 p.m. during daylight saving time. And then when you turn 16... Your license just became the unrestricted license. And at 16, you almost feel like you call your friends up and say, hey, let's go to Baskin Robbins. I'll meet you there at 830. May birthday means I'm after daylight savings. I'll meet you there at 830 just because I can. Well, in a lot of ways, the writer of Hebrews sort of reminds us that the old covenant system is a lot like having your restricted driver's license. And that the new covenant system is a lot like 
turning 16 and coming of age and having your unrestricted license. Uh, The writer of Hebrews has been reminding us all along that Jesus is better. Perhaps you've noticed that I think every sermon title has been the better something. And and this time it was question marks, but it's the better blood. Um, It's always been better something. And that's kind of been the writer's pattern. He's kind of used this series of comparisons of, of arguments from the lesser to the greater. He'll remind you. This is how things were under the old covenant system. How much better under Jesus. And then he goes on to sort of make the comparison, make the contrast, show you how it is actually better under Jesus. This chapter reminds us of having that restricted license. It was fine for what it was it served the purpose that it was supposed to serve it served a purpose for a time but the restricted license the restricted life wasn't quite as glorious as the unrestricted freedom of a full license first the old covenant is like having a restricted license i suppose if i'm going to make that argument i need to show you how First of all, we see the old covenant was restricted to a particular place. Did you notice verse 2? There's a tent. There's this tabernacle. There's this mobile building. Now, it becomes immobile later. And certainly at the time of of the writing of Hebrews, it it was immobile. It was the temple. It was still standing, I believe. And there's indicators throughout the book. But there was a, a tent, and in this tent were all these articles, and this, the furniture, and the Ark of the Covenant, and it had these two rooms, and there was the, the holy place was kind of the first room, and then the inside room, the most holy place, was where the Ark of the Covenant was. And the reality is, that's where you had to be. If it wasn't with you, or if you weren't with it, you really couldn't, you couldn't offer sacrifices. You couldn't, you couldn't worship the old covenant way. You couldn't bring to God a, a, a lamb, a bull, a goat, uh, whatever animal you had to sacrifice, whose blood you needed to pay for your sin. So if you weren't where this tent was, if you weren't where this tabernacle was, You were kind of at a loss. And so you see this restriction under the old covenant system of worship to a particular place. It was the place where the sacrifices were offered. It was the place where the blood was shed and sprinkled on the altar for forgiveness. The old covenant is also restricted to particular people. Notice verses six and seven. You see, unless you were a descendant of Levi or unless you were the high priest descendant of Aaron, if you were just a regular run of the mill Israelite, just your regular, ordinary garden variety person, right? You never saw the inside of that tabernacle. You never you never got to see what it looked like. Once it was set up and and you couldn't go in there at all. Only certain people could go into that tent. And the priests 
went into the tent regularly. They did so daily. But even they couldn't go into the inner room, the holy of holies, the most holy place. Even they were restricted. Only particular people could go into the tabernacle at all. And even within those particular people, only certain particular people could go into the most holy place. There's restriction all around. The priests went into the the, the holy place, that front room, and 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 performed their daily duties. And and you get this you get this glimpse in Luke chapter one, verses eight and nine that um, that it was decided by lot that the 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 process had become. We're going to cast lots every day to see which priest goes in and changes the twelve loaves of bread and trims the wicks on the lampstand. That was the the daily function, the daily duty of the priest in the holy place. But even they, in that room, swapping out loaves of bread, fixing the lampstand, even they are aware that on the other side of this curtain is something I can't see. Only Aaron, only his descendants, only the high priest could go there. The old covenant is actually restricted to particular times. I mean, the regular priests had their daily function, right? Their daily responsibilities to go in in the morning, do what they do, go in at night, sort of set up the lampstand and make sure it's going to burn through the night and, and refill the oil and all of those sorts of things. The high priest, one day every year. And not the day that he got to decide. He couldn't say, he couldn't choose, you know, next week I'm going to be on vacation So I'm going to go in today and make sure that's all done. No, he was limited to the Day of Atonement. It was that particular time, that particular day that he could go into the most holy place. And he had to go in with blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. By the way, that's not the writer of Hebrews words. Those words aren't written by him. He's merely calling up Leviticus 17. And having gone in on the Day of Atonement, having sprinkled blood sacrificed for his sins and for the sins of the people, and sprinkled the blood on the Ark of the Covenant, he couldn't come back in again for 365 days. I bet they didn't have leap year. 366 days maybe on leap year. He had to wait an entire year. He had to wait for the next year's Day of Atonement before he could come back into that room. There's restriction all around. Restricted to a particular place, particular people, a particular time. But then you also hear the writer of Hebrews telling you that the Old Covenant system was actually restricted in its power. It could only do... So much. Maybe that sounds odd to us. Maybe maybe to think, well, hold on a second. You mean to tell me that the sacrificial system of the old covenant was limited in time and place? And that just seems odd because you and I, as Bob mentioned earlier in the service, we're used to 
confessing our sin every single Lord's Day. Whenever we gather together for worship on the Lord's Day, we have a time of confession. Why? Because we recognize our sinfulness. We recognize our, our need for forgiveness. And that even as believers, that, that sin nature still exists. And we aren't yet made perfect. And so we're going to confess our sin every single Sunday until Christ comes back. And I don't have any to confess anymore. We also do it because our liturgy sort of reminds us of the gospel itself, God's glory. And when I look at God's glory, I'm reminded that I am not. I'm reminded of my sinfulness, of my rebellion and my need for the cleansing blood of Christ. And only then do we come to his word and to give and to those kinds of things. And so it seems odd, I think, that that. Any sort of sacrificial system would be limited. I mean, it seems like, seems like to you and me, maybe, maybe I should be allowed to offer a sacrifice every day because I'm pretty sure I sin every day. Don't ask Nancy. But we can actually turn the question around and ask it the other way. Or consider it in the opposite sort of direction. The fact that the sacrifices had to be repeated at all suggests something is wrong with them. It suggests that they are insufficient. It suggests that they lack the power to do the thing that we need more than anything. And we find that in verse 9. The blood of bulls and goats. That's why we sing. I mean, you literally sang this passage just a few minutes ago in not all the blood of beasts. I know it's an odd title, but you literally took upon your lips in the first two verses this truth in Hebrews 9. But the blood of these animals was only so effective, it only accomplished what it could accomplish and what it was supposed to accomplish. It was merely external. It was merely legal. It was a a legal standing um, solution. Right? Verse 9, which is symbolic for the present, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Verse 10, but deal only with food and drink and washings and regulations. They're, They're external. They they were designed to merely hold a place until the true lamb would come, until the fullness of time would come and the father would send the son to crush the head of the serpent. It's external. It's it's ceremonial. It, It satisfies divine justice because it It points to the true lamb. It satisfies your sort of corporate participation. I'm determined by the law to be clean. And so now I'm welcomed back into the fold as it were. But there's nothing the blood of a goat can do for a guilty conscience. So there's a scene in one of the Avengers movies. Y'all may know, I I maybe have said this before. You know, I pretty much think all the Avengers movies are this. They use find and replace, right? To find Captain America, replace with Iron Man. They're all the same movie. You just change the hero. I have no idea which one it is. There's a scene in one of the Avengers movies 
Uh, Hawkeye has gotten injured. Black Widow is kind of trying to take care of him. And, and um, she mentions, I have red on my ledger. I want to wipe it out. And Hawkeye says, can you? Can you wipe out that much red? See, in her mind, she thinks if I do these things, if I do enough stuff, then I can solve the problem of the red on my ledger. If your hands are dirty, if your hands are guilty, if your hands bear blood, soap's going to wash them off eventually. It'll rub off. It'll scrub off. You can dial ivory, right? All these soaps, even though it's the, those man soaps out there now, right? Do cannon or squat, you know, whatever. I don't know. Your hands will get clean. None of those can wash your conscience. And even Black Widow recognizes I'm trying to do enough good to solve the problem of the red on my ledger. But we all know that's impossible. What are the things you do to appease the guilty conscience? What are the things you do to solve the problem of red on your ledger? How are you trying to scrub your conscience clean? Well, I'll just read my Bible more. I'll go to church more. I'll give more. I'll, I'll love people more. I'll do these things less. I'll be mean to my kids or my spouse or my neighbor less. Those are all good. We'd love for you to give more. We'd love for you to be in church more, right? We'd love for all of those things to be true. And they should be, but for very different reasons. You can check the boxes of your restricted license. Well, I didn't leave the house before 6 a.m. I was home by 8 p.m. I checked the boxes. If I was driving after 8 p.m., I had an adult in the front seat with a, a legal parent or guardian sitting next to me in the front seat. I checked the boxes. Those boxes will not clean your conscience. The, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that the old covenant system, this, this notion of, of trying to wipe the red off of our own ledger, is like living with a restricted license. It's box checking, but it doesn't really accomplish the purpose. It doesn't solve the problem of a guilty conscience. What you need is your unrestricted license. And in the new covenant system, we have that of the joys of turning 16 and no more getting home from a late track meet in Sumter and having to stand around at my school way out in the middle of nowhere waiting for. We didn't have cell phones. Like I couldn't text my parents while I was riding the bus back to the school to say, hey, we're on our way. Come pick me up. Right. You had to find a, a pay phone. And, and, and tell them, look, we're, we should be home by eight. Well, except for that soccer game where Tom Ellis actually broke his tibia in the middle of the game. We didn't get home at eight. 
so the joys of the freedom to drive myself home if we got home at 8 or at 10 or 11 or who knows when. But the reality is that was determined by something outside of me. See, I didn't get to just decide, well, now my license is an unrestricted license. I can drive whenever I want to. I needed the state. I needed the state of South Carolina to say, look, here's the deal. You're now 16. Your license is unrestricted. You are free. I needed, I needed that sort of external um, gift. I needed that determined by someone out of, outside of me. Well, the writer of Hebrews says that because of Christ, your license is no longer restricted. And all the restrictions we saw in the first half of the passage, we can watch them undone in Jesus where is Jesus now? Well, he's in the, the heavenly tabernacle. He's in the true tent. The, we saw that last week. We see it again here. We see it in verse 11. Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come. Then through the greater, more perfect tent. We see it again in verse 24. Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, not the earthly copy, but in the true, the real, the heavenly tabernacle. And so because Christ dwells now in the very presence of God, in the very throne room of God in heaven. Right there at the, the right hand of the father, you have unlimited access to the throne room of heaven. You're no longer limited to a place. You're no longer limited to a time. He won't have to come and go every single year on a particular day. He doesn't, he doesn't leave the presence of God and come back and do something different for, you know, whatever, and then go back again on the Day of Atonement. He lives there. He dwells there. You have unrestricted access to the Father because your true and perfect high priest ever lives above to intercede for you. It means that the, the new covenant New Covenant worship isn't restricted to a place. You have access to God because of Christ wherever you are. And that's basically what Jesus told the woman at the well, right? She comes out and goes, all right, so hold on a second. My people say, she was a Samaritan, my people say that it's this mountain and, and your people say it's in Jerusalem. So which place is right? And Jesus says... Worship in spirit and truth. There's coming a day when place doesn't matter. You'll have access to the Father because of the Son seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Speaking of, speaking of people, right? If you're not limited to a, a geographic location, then, then God's people no longer restricted to a particular spot. Well, speaking of people, it's no longer limited just to the priests. Verse 15. He's a mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Verse 28. You get the same sort of idea. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. That's 
That's unlimiting. That's, that's taking the, the limitations, the restrictions off. It's no longer restricted just to the priest, but it's to anyone and everyone who has been called by him and received salvation, forgiveness of sin, and eagerly waits for his return. Part of the implication here is that, that as the writer of Hebrews writes this, he's including his audience in that group of people. Which means he's including you and me in that group of people. Jesus did this. You, you read about the, the crucifixion of Christ and, and the curtain tearing just as Christ dies. The, the curtain tears from the top to the bottom. And, and access to the throne room of heaven is now open to all. That restriction is taken away when Jesus died on the cross. Well, if anyone can have access to God through Christ from anywhere, then, then it must mean that we have access to God through Christ any time we want. You're not restricted to a particular time. Any time you turn your heart, your mind, your attention to the Father in the throne room of heaven, ruling and reigning over His creation, whether you're seeking forgiveness or appealing for His, His grace and mercy for you or for someone else, you have access. In fact, we, we saw and we sang in Arise, My Soul, Arise last week. He ever lives above for me to intercede. By the way, that's also Sunday school today. That's that ch chapter 8 of Gentle and Lowly. The interceding work of Christ who, who lives to pray for you. To intercede on your behalf. He doesn't leave the Holy of Holies and then come back. He doesn't have to wander off somewhere and say, hold on a second. You just save that. I'll be back. I can't listen right now. I've got to do something else. You have direct access to the Father through the Son whenever. But lastly, the greater restriction removed. The blood of Jesus does what the, lamb, the blood of lambs and goats and bulls never could. Just look at verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify not our hands, not our feet, not our legal standing. He does do that, but that's only partial. Our conscience from dead works. The blood of Jesus doesn't just bring external forgiveness, but it actually cleanses your conscience. The blood of Christ doesn't merely make you legally and ceremonially clean and acceptable, though it does do that. It cleanses your conscience. It removes guilt. That's why we sing in Rock of Ages about the, the blood of Jesus, be of sin, the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. The picture here is that the sacrifice of Christ, the blood of Jesus, does exactly what the old covenant sacrificial system couldn't. The old covenant system is restricted. The new covenant system is unrestricted. Finally, what caused the change? For me, when I was 16, it was the state of South Carolina saying, so be it. Go drive all you want. 
how is the new covenant era inaugurated? Well, you see in verse 15 to 17. Suddenly, the writer of Hebrews, after using all this over and over again, you get the word covenant, covenant. You get it in verse 15. Therefore, he's the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promise. And in verse 16, he suddenly focuses attention on a will, the last will and testament. Why the change? Why the sudden? In fact, why why the, the sudden switch from covenant idea to will and testament? Well, the reality is this in Greek. The, the Greek word for covenant, you ready? Diatheke. The Greek word for will, diatheke. But this is the only place in the New Testament it's used like that. It was used like that in Greece among Greek speakers. But in the New Testament, this is the only place it's used. That's the connection. That's the change. That's why he's, he's drawn from speaking of a covenant inaugurated by the blood of a mediator. Oh, wait a minute. Y'all know the word will. Y'all know the the concept of, of the last will and testament. Same word. The will of Jesus is inaugurated, is kicked off. It's enacted because he died. You write a will. You know, you, you go in and, and you... Change your mind the next day. You wake up the next morning and go, what in the world am I thinking? I just left all the good stuff to my oldest kid. That's a bad idea. I'm going to leave all the good stuff to somebody else. And you can literally go back the next day and change your, and you can go back and change your will all you want as long as you're alive. But as soon as you die, the stipulations of the will essentially kick in. And that era, inaugurated, initiated by your death, becomes the new reality. The death of Jesus inaugurated the new covenant system. It rendered the the old Jewish sacrificial system null and void on the one hand and complete and fulfilled on the other. That served its purpose Restricted as it was, it did what it was designed to do for as long as it was designed to do it. And now the time has come for that to end and for the new to begin. That's Jesus' language in the upper room when he instituted the Lord's Supper. It's new covenant time, people. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. In fact, we read in Leviticus just a few minutes ago, right? At the beginning of that sacrificial system, we sprinkled blood on the stuff of the tabernacle and literally this is the blood of the covenant. And Jesus says, hold on, that covenant over. This blood is my blood for the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus was essentially reading his last will and testament to his people. The restricted old covenant sacrificial system came to an end and the new covenant freedom of access to God through Christ began. And because of Christ, you have unrestricted access to the very throne room in heaven.
Let me make just a couple of applications. First, this passage reminds us uh, that the old points to the new. Um, the old covenant system anticipates a better. It, re- it anticipates a replacement. It anticipates a, a better new covenant system. The animal sacrifice could only do what it could do. Which is why it had to be repeated. And so even the old covenant system longs for a day when that no longer has to be true. The old anticipates the new. The old was always essentially a, a placeholder until the fullness of time when the father would send the son to fulfill all that the old longed for. Second, uh, this is one of the reasons I think looking for the temple to be rebuilt is a waste of our time. We don't need to go back to the old system. We don't need to be looking for for the, the temple to be rebuilt as some sort of evidence of the last days. Because the new is greater than the old. We don't want to go back to the old. We don't want to go back to that system. And so that anticipation, that longing, that, that view of last things, that view of end times is contrary to the direction of everything set up in Scripture. Finally, If you're trying to scrape your hands clean from guilt and shame, that soap doesn't exist. You can wash your hands. You can do things right. You can do things better. You can determine I'm going to improve. That soap doesn't exist. But... Trying harder, doing better, even good and right things like going to church. If you're carrying around guilt and shame, if you're sort of harboring the the shame and guilt of the past self, there's only one place to go. There's only one balm for there's only one cleansing for that. There's only one place for for that conscience to be made clean. You take those to the foot of the cross. You lay them at Jesus' feet. His blood alone can make the foulest clean. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we thank you for this picture of forgiveness, this reminder that the new covenant system is actually better than the old covenant system. And we pray that we would celebrate the freedom of access we have to the very throne room of heaven in Christ. And that, yes, that would drive and fuel our giving, our worship, our fellowship with Christ. But as a response and a celebration and joy, rather than a means for cleansing a red ledger. Would you draw us to the cross? Would you draw us to the blood of Christ that does indeed make the foulest clean? And would you fuel lives of response from that forgiveness? We pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.